it's like you have to hold yourself responsible. And when you do that, you start to plan better. You start to make contingency plans. You start to figure out exactly, even before taking the action, how to put yourself in the, the best position for things to go your way. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. Art starts with a curiosity. It's this urge to create that pushes you along in your decisions. It's very easy to fall into the monotony of it all without realizing the brilliance that's at play, without realizing how hard it is to make paintings, to make murals, to make things just in general. Everybody can't do it. So it's a little bit of specialness that you got to give yourself credit for. Like today's guest, Thomas Evans, a.k.a. Detour, mural artist out of Denver, Colorado, from airbrushing t-shirts in high school to giant colorful murals to big time commissions, Detour has been killing it for a while now. He has this awesome video series called Art Tip Tuesday that he does on YouTube and Instagram, where he drops practical knowledge about making murals, submitting proposals, all kinds of the nuts and bolts art making stuff. Those kind of tips. He also released a book called Be the Artist, the Interactive Guide to a Lasting Art Career, full of practical questions and notes for artists of all ages and experiences. And this, of course, is he got his beautiful, huge murals. And we talk about all that today on The Noise. You know how we get to it. Studio Noise, Black Art Podcast, connecting you with the absolute best in Black contemporary art. Season 7 has just been absolutely amazing. It's the last episode of the season. It's 22 episodes this season, which is, you know, quite extraordinary, if you ask me. <laughs> it's not bad for a one-man production. And it's been a lot of fun. Legendary interviews. I mean, legendary, even if in my own mind. I think they're legendary. Good enough for you to go back and listen to for a little while. It's been a lot of work, but, you know, it's a lot of fun. Also, being able to tell these stories, to build this archive of black contemporary art voices. I mean, because it needs to be done. You need to know that this art life is hard, but it's possible. And we're out here doing it. You're not by yourself. You're not the only one that feels this. You're not the only one going through these problems. Join the join the fam. That's what I'm telling you. Join the fam. We all doing this together. This is episode 149, but if you count all our special episodes, there's over 180 some episodes of the noise for you to listen to. Now I'm taking a little break because classes are starting at Georgia State. I got to make sure I get these babies started off right uh, into this art making. So got to take some time, make sure everybody settled down. And then right after they settle down, I'm back <laughs> with another season of the noise, probably starting in mid-September or sometime like that. But I'll definitely be back. Until then, I'm posting some old episodes. The feed on Apple and Spotify does not have all the episodes for you. So I'm remastering, posting some of the old episodes while I'm taking a break. And that'll be a good time for you. It'll keep you going. Please stay in the studio. Don't stop making that noise, baby. You got to keep doing it. And while I'm going, make sure you check the website, studionoisepodcast.com. Follow the IG at studionoisepodcast. Going to post some updates from the fam you know, events and stuff, shows that we got going around. It's going to be a good time. And if you really love it, if you really love it and you really going to miss it and you really want to support this show, then make sure you join the Patreon. Every dollar that you give 
helps support this show, helps me keep going. And, you know, possibly bringing in some staff. This is a lot of work for one man to do. <laughs> I call this stuff together. So maybe we'll bring in some staff next season. Who knows? The link is in the show notes and on the website. So if you want to give, give. I sure do appreciate it. Let's keep this thing going. And y'all can shoot me some messages about who would you like to hear from next season. I mean, I got my eyes set on some big dogs. <laughs> I got the, I got a bunch of hooks in the water, as they say. But y'all put me on some people that you that I may not know, that I may not have heard from. And as always, with everybody sends me suggestions, I really do appreciate it. But I try to get to it. We manage it. And if we can work our schedules out, you'll hear them right here on The Noise. And so if you got an idea for amazing guests for The Noise, go ahead and shoot me an email, Podcast at gmail.com or DM me on the IG. Either way, I get all your communication. I sure do appreciate it. Tell me what you thought about this season. What's your favorite episode? All that good stuff. Let's keep in contact because I want to keep y'all in the studio. Keep y'all inspired. While I'm on a hiatus, if you need your black art fix, head down to the Black Art American Gallery in East Point, 1802 Connolly Drive. Najee and the crew got some beautiful black art on the walls. You'll see young masters like Kevin Johnson and Alfred Conte, old masters like Ron Adam and Louis Dell's art. It's beautiful space to kick back, buy some art, continue your art collection, or start your art collection. You know, get your first piece from Black Art America. It's all there for you. Come on down, check it out. Go to blackartamerica.com for more information. Now, why don't you go ahead and tell two friends, tell two artists on the grind, tell two collectors, the next two people you see walking down Peachtree. I don't know. <laughs> okay, who you tell? Just let them know. After the break, we got Thomas Detour Evans on the noise. Yes. Hey, Studio Noise folks. This is Toki Taylor's studio. I am a photography-based artist out of Atlanta, Georgia, and a educator, and you are listening to Studio Noise. Yes, it's your boy Jay Barber back with more Studio Noise, the voice of black art. As always, giving you the very best in black contemporary art. And I got a great special guest for us today. We got Thomas Detour Evans on the podcast, muralist, artist extraordinaire. How you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? I'm chilling, man. It's so glad to talk to you, yo. I got to tell you, I found a lot of your work based on kind of your art tip Tuesdays, stuff that you do, kind of like a lot of practical advice in the YouTube videos. I love that stuff, man. How'd you decide to get into that kind of work? Um, I guess really it's just trying to be the artist I would want that i would want to meet um so you know just being able to open up about the process and everything that i've been sort of learning along the way it's like just being able to share that has been a way to connect with people because mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm always into so many different areas when it comes to art and tech and stuff like that and i'm always looking up videos on how to's and magazines on tutorials things like that so you know it's just like a natural sort of thing for me to sort of share that as well um so like my instagram with the art tip tuesday stuff like that's where it started and people really love that and gravitate to it so like today's tuesday so i put out one today uh about like prepping a wall like what happens when you don't do it so it's a lot of the stuff that you know as I learn along the way, it's like I just try to share as much as I can um, with other artists and people. And, 
people really seem to gravitate to it. Yeah, I think it's a great way to do it. I teach at on in college at Georgia State here, and uh, I, the way I approached art was different too. Because even though I do went to school for art, I think I learned a lot more art just being out and being an artist, like living as a full time artist, like doing the art walk shows, and you know, then trying to get into galleries and you know all this other stuff. And you learn a lot more about yourself in that kind of practical application of it. And so that's why the voice that you speak with when you're on your art tips is so great because it's like, yo, how do you prep a wall? How do you source uh, what kind of paint is the best kind of paint? You know what I'm saying? What's the best kind of sprayer to use? Like it's all that practical advice because a lot of the art is going to happen from the person that's going to be individual, but kind of like a lot of this information that you're giving out is, you know, stuff that people can take and build into their own creative practice. They don't necessarily need permission to do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's like uh, I try to get out the practical stuff so that people are able to use it and utilize it and chop it up. And, you know, a lot of the times it's like the information that, you know, is common amongst artists, you know, the, the price of paint or even how to get a discount on paint because paint is expensive now because there's a supply chain shortage. So, like, what's the best brand and, you know, how how not to go overboard all these different things are are are, i guess uh part of the practice and how to make it sustainable so that's why i like to share absolutely man and so i did mention your website is imdetour.com and you can find you at detour303 on instagram and you can find all of that stuff up there and so people should know you by now i think they do (laughs) once they see your pictures on the on the studio noise feed that's they'll see who you are like your style, very bold, very vibrant, um, very uh, you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's one of the things where people always search for a style to identify themselves. Like, how did mm-hmm. you stumble onto, like, your color palette and the way you paint and stuff like that? Um, I guess a lot of it really came from the live art. Like, I used to do, uh, you know, just like matching flesh tones, making things realistic. And then once I got it started going into live art and painting on stage and, you know, you get a certain amount of time, maybe four hours, uh, sometimes five. It's like you have to sort of create something really fast. And for me, it was hard to sort of color match and mix and, and you know, do all those different things. So I started using uh, paint straight out the bottle and it became colorful. And... You know, I started to learn how to use different colors with different values to create form and shape. And, you know, once I saw that as a way of not being beholden to the actual image or sort of like um, making things super exact, then I started becoming a little bit more looser, the brush strokes and the tools that I use as well. So, you know, I hardly ever paint with brush now. So it's one of those things where it's kind of like, uh, one thing led to the other, yeah. it all kind of from, uh, you know, the, the live art and, you know, the time limitations and restrictions forced me to sort of, uh, you know, go a different direction, which, you know, really helped out. And then from there, it's sort of expanding on the idea of, you know, using color because now color is a big part of my practice. So it, it's a it's a it's a journey you know so it's kind of like one thing just led to the other which leads to the next thing which leads to the next thing which is something that you know my whole practice is all about so uh, tell me a little bit about that as you start developing you embrace the journey how 
did you feel going into it? Like picking those colors? Was it just exciting? Was it a nervousness? Did you know what would happen? Or like, how do you kind of deal with that, that blank canvas <laughs> kind of feeling that we all get as artists? Um, so yeah, I didn't know it was going to happen till the end. Um, so for me, it was just like experimenting until I feel right. And the work that feels right to me also is something that, you know, uh, I can put into the world and sort of use that to support more creation of work like that. Um, it's, it's even now it's kind of like, it's always a journey just to explore and experiment with different materials and different paints and colors and, you know, figure out color schemes that I, I like and, you know, the whole process of laying down, you know, uh, a, a portrait or a scene, building that up, you know, it's different on canvas than it is to do that on a wall, you know, than to do it on a uh, an iPad uh, digitally. So, you know, it's always a, a give and take and exploring some of those boundaries uh, when it comes to, you know, the colors and some of the subject matter and the things that, you know, I'm really interested in. And as you started to get into that, did you settle on using figures, like particularly in your work? How how early did you settle on to that? So, I mean, like, I guess like a lot of uh, artists, you start out drawing things that inspire you or you're looking at all the time. And, you know, I'm a, I was born in 84, so I grew up off of Sunday comics and, you know, it's like I used to draw that all the time and then it got into uh, the early dragon ball original dragon ball show and then you know got into you know painting friends so and then like when i was in high school i started doing airbrush t-shirts when ebay was really big and i did airbrush t-shirts for almost 10 years so for me it was like i was always into representational sort of work and mm -hmm. then more specifically portrait work uh, because of all the airbrushing uh, t-shirts and stuff that I did uh, because that was like a way for me to make money on the side. Um, so it sort of just naturally uh, transferred into, you know, doing figurative work on canvas once I started moving to canvas and, you know, just expanding a little bit. So it was always a part of my practice um, from, from a start. Tell me about this this airbrush and t-shirt business because I mean that's some that's a throwback for you right there. Yeah. I do I remember when people we used to try to get um, when I uh, crossed my fraternity, first thing we want to do go get some airbrush joints so we can go yeah. you know mob at the party and whatever. So yeah, tell me tell me about that. How was how was that I mean, for you? Was that kind of like the early form of business for you and art? Yeah, so I mean that was probably the year two thousand two thousand and one maybe. Uh, when I got my hands on an airbrush in my uh, homeroom class, which was because I went to school in Germany. So it was like my homeroom class and got my hands on an airbrush and started airbrushing. And the, the teacher let me use it and borrow it to take home and everything. So, you know, shout out to her. And, you know, I loved it. You know, it took a while to learn how to use it. But then when eBay came out, you know, and it was really popular in 2000. That's when I was able to actually, you know, make money as, as an artist. And I didn't have to sort of get a regular job because I had, 
you know, some income coming in, you know, 20 bucks here, 50 bucks there type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Or, you know, just buying t-shirts on, on wholesale and then airbrushing it in my room and then throwing that in the mail and shipping it out. And, you know, I was, cause I painted a ton of Tupac and Biggie and <laughs> big L and, you know, all these different rappers. And then SpongeBob was big and Mickey mouse and people wanted their names on t-shirts. So it was one of those things where it's kind of like, there wasn't a shortage of people asking for, for work. Uh, and for me, it was kind of like, even though like some stuff was 20 bucks, some stuff was 50, some stuff was a hundred. It was all still like the the amount of work you put into it really helped sort of shape, you know, me in a way because you know I have to be fast, I have to be efficient, yeah, I have to know what I'm doing, I have to know how to uh, lay different colors down or you know black and white, all that stuff. So it, was, it really helped out in terms of you know being professional, but also you know trying to be efficient when it comes to the work that I do. Yeah. And I and gotta say is it probably helped you a lot when dealing with likenesses, right? And you painting oh, yeah. so many faces just as practice, just you know, to, as a practical thing going back to that, is yeah. it's the practice of a thousand hours, you know, ten thousand hours of doing a certain thing. So Yeah, so I mean it's it's definitely building up the hours through not even knowing it. So it's kinda like I, cause I didn't go to school for art. So it's not like I, I went into it thinking I was going to be a full-time artist or airbrusher or whatever. Um, but like just around the way, it's like, you're just gaining that skill set, Um, and not even knowing it because really it was just like, I'm just having fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, rather than thinking about how many hours I'm putting in, but you just don't know until the end that you put in a lot of hours. Yeah. I like that, man. Did you, do you, find that stuff was is more or less fun than the stuff you do now the kind of big commissions that you get right now uh, i mean the big commissions are definitely fun it just depends on um you know does it challenge me uh in a way so like i i'm fortunate enough to sort of t be able to turn down jobs so i try to make sure like every job that i take on there's some sort of benefit where it's like it's compensation or allows me to travel or, you know, does it like allow me to explore new mediums, things like that. So a lot of the stuff that I do today, uh, I try to make sure that I'm trying to expand as much as I can when it comes to uh, the type of work that I do. So the, the work that I do today is, is, you know, still fun. That's good. That's dope, man. Because uh, one big commission that we'll talk about a little bit is the David Letterman, you know, uh, artwork that you did for the David Letterman show on Netflix, and yeah. that was phenomenal. But I, as you talk about doing the t-shirts and stuff, I gotta I see a correlation between those two things. You know what I'm saying? Yes, it's different levels, but it's it's essentially the same thing. Yeah, I mean, you got a client on the other end that wants something, you know, kind of specific, but they give you sort of a little bit of freedom to be creative. Um, so for me, it was, you know, doing the Airbus t-shirts helped me out in terms of learning how to do some of those, uh, other paying gigs and with, uh, Netflix, you know, that was, I was doing a residency in, uh, France and they hit me up and, you know, I had to find all the, the canvases and the paints and stuff like that just to get it done. And, you know, the, the gig was cool. Um, 
you know, didn't pay as well as people think, but it was one of those things where it's kind of like the opportunity is, is fun to sort of to have because you're working with, you know, people that can open up some other doors and, you know, now it's like, you know, I have a, a commission piece with Letterman and Netflix and Jay-Z. Yeah. <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't bad at all. <laughs> that ain't bad at all. Yeah. And we usually don't, you know, studio noise, we usually don't encourage the exposure game, but you know, yeah. there's exposure and then there's exposure. You know what I mean? Like it, it, you, you weigh, it's like for me, it's like, I don't really go off of income or just like the, the money that uh commission can bring in only. It's like, it's uh there's so many different factors when it comes to um taking on work so it's like there is a a, a compensation factor to it there is an exposure factor to it or the network factor to it there is a you know what new tools or what new things can can i do there is a creative freedom factor to it that you just you have all those things that weigh into whether you should take an opportunity or not because you know uh, it's different for everyone and every opportunity or every space that an artist is in is going to be different from time to time and you know i just weigh them all the time whenever i, I get approached and uh for some reason it's kind of like some i take some i don't take yeah right that's that's a, a great place to be that's american dream right there right <laughs> like using your talents to make a living and then being able to control what your day looks like. And, you know, exactly. not, every, not everybody gets to do that. Exactly. I do talk to uh, a few, um, about 10 episodes back. I talked to um, George F. Baker, um, GFB three, uh, big shout out to my man. He does the funerals all, all the time too. That's his kind of game. And he talked about building up from doing literally just going in and, volunteering to put mules on people's walls to put the mules on a truck he said one time and then he finally uh got the look that he was looking for and got the team behind him that he wanted and now he's you know going on and doing murals everywhere kind of what was your story like developing in in terms of getting your foot into the mural game the way that you do um i'd say in denver denver's a good uh art scene and we have a ton of uh, graph artists, a ton of graph crews, RTD, and you know, you know, it, it's like I, I'm friends with some of them, and you know, this was even before a lot of them knew that I was doing uh, art in general, because I was basically our first sort of big mural festival. You know, the first time it happened, I was doing, I was organizing the breakdancing events because I used to do a ton of breakdancing. So, you know, we have a huge arts community and and we were doing stuff on walls a long time ago. So when I got into live art and doing stuff on stage and my work got bigger on canvas, uh, I just got invited to hang out and paint on uh, a wall during one of the festival times. And you know, it was, uh, it was then when, you know, they gave me like a small garage door to actually try to paint on uh, using spray paints and some, some pretty shitty spray paints. It was the Liquitex, which is the water-based one that I think they kind of discontinued because they were just so bad. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I was learning on those type of cans and, and you, you know, it became to where it's like every time I 
I did a mural, it's like I was learning something new. Um, my first actual mural uh, was even years before that, probably 20, 2010 maybe. And then the next one that I did was actually, I painted in Tanzania. It was uh, almost uh, one I did with oils, oil-based paints and mm. thinned it down with gasoline. Mm. Then the first official one I did with spray paint, uh, or just like the, I guess, for a festival. Um, that one was when I was invited uh, because they saw the size of my work on canvas. They were like, hey, you should just go up and do murals. And, you know, my, I had that uh, colorful style by then. And figuring out how to translate that to a wall uh, was like one of the goals. And, you know, from there, it was like, uh, get that first mural. And then went around asking other people for for wall space and see if I can just paint. You know, I didn't. Because most of the stuff I'd never got paid for uh, early on. Um, the first mural I did, because it was part of a festival, but it was like just paying for supplies. But everything else, almost in between, was just like, you know, it was like people donating walls or just, they just had free walls. And, you know, I'd buy the paint and figure out how to lay down some colors and stuff like that and then go to the next one. And, you know, after a while, your, your work uh, starts to get refined a little bit. And then you're starting to actually be able to, to travel around and uh, people want your work because they see it around in other places. And that's when you start to, you know, be able to say, hey, I need this type of compensation for this, this and this. Um, but usually it's like now it's I'd say it's almost three fourths walls that I just paint because I just like painting and then a fourth of the walls, one fourth of the walls that I paint are like the bigger commission ones that sort of pay for everything else. Um, and it's, it's always uh, interesting when it, when it comes to that, because, you know, the more they pay, the sort of the less creative freedom you get. Right. And yeah. As they pay or if they don't pay, then it's like, I get creative freedom. So there's a balance there when it comes to that. And then, you know, now nowadays it's the the access to doing street art and murals is, you know, almost wide open to where there's a ton of artists that some some don't even like doing murals, but they'll do murals because of the the factor that it's like it's in public and you know you're able to garner some attention. So there's a there's a whole sort of uh, new wave of artists coming into the public art scene and you know it's uh it's a changing world when it comes to how artists are sort of uh using the public space as a as a gallery and artists are seeing that advertisers are seeing that curators gallerists and everyone else developers are seeing that as well so it's uh it's much different than it was even five years ago and it's one of those conversations that has been happening since, you know, since modern times of uh, being able to spray paint on a wall. Yeah. Now, I think we've, we've had this conversation tracking over the last, I'd say the last two years or so. But I mean, maybe COVID may have gotten away a little bit. But you see this trend towards people, um, public money being invested in art first. And a lot of that is leading to these big 
you know, mural festivals because people want to brighten their neighborhood. They want art yeah. as part of their community, all this kind of stuff. So you definitely see the trend as you see the trend of money going towards one direction. You also see the trend of artists going to that direction too, because, you know, trying, trying to support themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the more money that flows in, the more people who aren't even artists are, are flowing in as well. It's like oh, yeah. the music, right? So it's kind of like there's, there's artists that you love to listen to um, that will that would have done music if no one even paid them. And then there's 98% of them who are doing the music because of the fame and right. the money and the glory, things like that. It's the same with art as well. Uh, when it comes to especially the mural space, things like that, uh, there are people that will paint just because they love it and they do the work and, you know, something that you, they would do regardless. And then, you know, because there's money flowing in, you see a lot of people uh, getting into the space um, for for other reasons. And that's that's always that's always um what happens when you know you have an industry or an area that has money just flowing into it so you know it, it's it's something that you have to, you think about but you can't avoid and although you may not like it it does allow the artist to support themselves you know it's like 10 years ago i probably would have never been able to do art full time because there wasn't that sort of influx of income mm -hmm. uh, and because there wasn't developers saying we need art on this wall we need art original art too on this wall um, by a local artist but now it's kind of like every development you know you have them saying that we need original art we need uh, artists to actually paint it rather than getting graphic designer or some sort of hobby lobby art uh, so it is a double-edged sword when it comes to that um, part of it. I think it's just really figuring out exactly, you know, how to navigate it uh, and still keep your uh, integrity when it comes to your creative freedom and, you know, what you put up on on these public spaces, things like that. I know the past year there's been a trend of, you know, these NFT art right. murals up and everything so you know it's like i didn't see that until a year ago where now it's like people are advertising their nfts through murals and street art and um that's a whole nother ball game that's just like popped up recently so it's always going to change no matter what um so it's kind of like just figuring out ways to to navigate it and to utilize this sort of medium and opportunity uh, to create the work that, you know, you want to create uh, for yourself. And I, I like your approach to the artwork where, yes, you do the mural stuff, the large scale projects, but you also spend so much time uh, investigating things like investigating the, the the link between tech and art a lot of times. Because so, you see you do a lot of experiments about interactive art. Right. And you do mm -hmm. and, and you do like a lot of, uh, you know, you built the treadmill canvas. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I saw you did that and like that kind of stuff. Like it, what's the two different ways that, that you're approaching these kind of, it's not, not that it's two separate aspects of your practice. It's your practice altogether, but is it a way that you're approaching it where you need that kind of experimentation to survive kind of the other stuff? Yeah. I mean, for me, I can't do 
the traditional work or studio work all the time and still feel fulfilled or the murals all the time and feel fulfilled. Sometimes I run into roadblocks and, you know, creative blocks where it's kind of like I just can't think of anything. So I have to dive into a whole nother area where it's like I'm just curious and I have to learn about something. So for me, it's like I'm always big into learning tech because it just requires so much energy to learn how to code and electricity and how to wire stuff and robotics. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm like subscribed to so many different tech channels to sort of figure out how to work with Arduinos and stuff. So for me, it helps out when it comes to challenging myself and that staying in the same place. Uh, it just allows me to be able to think of an idea in my head and say, you know, what, let me actually figure out how to make this happen. Or I see something. And I'm like, okay, let me try to figure out how to recreate this type of chemical substance for this mural or this uh, sort of contraction that I want or whatever. And then I spend, you know, weeks on end trying to figure out how to how to do it. But by the end of it, it's like I figure it out and I feel like I've grown a little bit and I'm able to use that in other parts of my practice. Uh, and then that just re rejuvenates me to sort of go back and revisit some other stuff that I've done before. Um, but, you know, you, sometimes you just have to be in love with learning and exploring and trying new things. And that's a way that you're going to separate yourself and be different uh, when you're able to create your own tools and create your own processes and create your own materials versus always having to uh, look uh, to other people for answers on how to do this or what tools or whatever. It's like when you're able to create your own, it's like then you're able to really uh, try new things and uh, just get outside the box. So, I mean, that's like why, why I spend a lot of time doing that, especially during the wintertime when, you know, it's too cold outside for me to, to paint in Denver. It's like a good time for me to just hunker down in my studio and just uh, explore and create. Yeah. Yeah, I tell I tell people I do printmaking, so I tell people the same thing about collage papers. Like, yeah, you can go buy all those standard papers in the in the store, uh, yeah. and you'll see a hundred thousand other people <laughs> with that same collage in their work. But if you go yeah. through the process of making your own stamps or making whatever and making your own paper, now it's yours. Now when they see it, they know it can't be nobody else but you. And so that investment yeah. in time makes you unique, special. Like it creates a place for you in the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, in this digital age with access to tools and access to pretty much anything you want on a global scale, you don't have to be in Japan to get tools from Japan now. Um, and then with the sort of the idea of social media and platforms, you're able to see what other people are working on. It's, it's For me, it's like it's great, but it also there's a lot of groupthink mm -hmm. when it comes to comes comes to the work and you know i think this is something that you should definitely have in the black community a conversation about that because there's a lot of work that looks exactly the same oh man and, you can say that again <laughs> yeah i mean because i don't want to say names about who i you know me and my other friends um you know kind of like who, who i discuss stuff with but like we we like 
I, I don't want to see another black person sitting beside a tr plant on, you know, on a canvas in this sort of texture because there's 20 other artists doing that same thing. Mm -hmm. and it, it just, it's like, for me, even for me, it's kind of like, I, I grew up on figurative work, but for me, it's like, I'm trying to slowly get out of that because there's just so many artists doing the same thing. And, you know, it's like, I don't, I want to feel like I'm exploring something different. And even with the colorful work, there's a lot more artists right now, especially the ones that follow me too, that will, will, will learn from that and also do just as much colorful work. So I'm like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a good practice for me to sometimes step away from what I'm good at and what I'm used to, uh, to sort of explore a whole new, uh, area of how to create and my perspective of the world. So I mean, it's 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 necessary for for artists to get outside of that because when you have digital uh, platforms and social media, it's like you're easily able to fall into what everyone else is doing because you're making artwork, you're putting up online, you're you're making it for the curator, you're making it for the galleries and, you know, they all have group think as well. So it's like they, they accept the same work. So when you're sort of seeing your lights go up on certain pieces or you're getting into shows with certain pieces, the, it's automatic that your work is going to change um, because of those influences. So sometimes it's like getting away from almost like, the the being accepted by by uh the the outside world that consumes your work and just making work that is just out out the realm of what you are thinking about or what you want to do uh, just to do something different so that's usually um sort of like my mindset right now so like i've been getting more into to sculpture work and getting into the tech stuff like you were saying and just trying to like get outside of what you know i'm used to and what other people expect of me uh from from my practice yeah absolutely yo it's like a balloon like you know you got to keep expanding the balloon to make room for like all this new creativity you got in there Hello, hello, everybody. My name is George F. Baker III, and I'm an illustrator and muralist based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And you are now listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. But I, I do want to go a little deeper into the treadmill canvas. I, I, I found this fascinating, man. Like, tell me about how you uh, came to that idea and then kind of just not the whole story but just a little bit of how you constructed it because that is a, a fascinating thing yeah i mean if you go back into my timeline you're able to see where i was working with um spray paint triggers so like i designed and 3d printed and programmed sort of like this tech stuff for these spray paint triggers and then i wanted to figure out a way to have it spray on a canvas so i built a little xy gantry that you know allows the spray paint can to move across the canvas and then you know naturally it's like well if i keep it in the same place how about you know 
a canvas that actually rotates or just moves itself and started working on that. And then that became, you know, let me just have the canvas just rotate and, you know, the, I'm able to actually paint on top of that without, um, without anything else. And then, you know, really it's just like almost 20 different iterations of, okay, how to get this canvas to move and change. And, you know, from there it's kind of like actually trying it for the first time. It's kind of like, okay, uh, let me see how, how I can slow it down, how I can speed it up, how I can pause it. And then, okay, let me see if I can do an entire painting with this thing rotating and, you know, then it's like, okay, I don't have time to really think about mixing it because when I mix the paint, you know, it's on the back of the canvas and I have to wait a whole nother minute. So like, how can I, you know, rather than thinking about the brush strokes, actually just paint and then figure it out afterwards and, you know, just keep going from area to area without, uh, you know, going too deep into one area. So it's a lot of that that just, it just keeps iterating into, um, I guess, different ideas as I create it and refine it and put it together. And, you know, it's like I uh, ran into someone online who does product design and they're going to help try to refine it in terms of making it uh, a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, What's the word? Uh, easier to have in your own sort of studio. Mm. So they're trying to figure out, you know, the best way to, you know, almost make this on a, a larger scale, scale it up. Yeah, in terms like of, a product. Yeah. Yeah, like a product and everything. And, and the idea, too, is like, I don't want to make this sort of like a, 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 it wasn't my intention to make it a product at all. And really, it's more about, that whole journey of, okay, if I do make it a product, what does that look like? How do I make it more efficient? How do I sort of have this, you know, something that's sort of mobile and, you know, reusable every time? Because right now it's a, it's a nightmare to change up. <laughs> so it's, um, it's something to where I learned how to do it myself and then having some other people help refine it and, you know, make it more accessible uh, because, you know, I'd love to have, you know, this in some, another artist studio if they want to, because, you know, it does change the way you have to paint. Yeah. It does change the way. It's kind of like, you know, now it's like you're having to create a composition that flows into itself, where it's like you don't know the beginning and you don't know the end because it just endlessly rotates. And the idea for this canvas was to have it displayed on the actual uh, the treadmill so that throughout the day it sort of moves as slow as like the shadows of this, uh, the shadows being casted by the sun so that, you know, to the naked eye it seems like it's you know frozen in time but over the course of an hour and two hours in, in a day it rotates so that's the idea where it's kind of like it it seems like a, a steel piece but it's actually continuously rotating on the treadmill and changes every time you see it so that's the idea that i had and sometimes through r d and refining it it's like it changes up the the intentions um, on it. And for me, that's like one of the things that I spent the entire almost quarter of the year trying to to build and program and stuff like that. But that's what, you know, 
I guess allows me to still be creative because I'm getting into stuff like that, which is like no one else is doing that online. No one else is doing that on what I've seen. So it's like a great place to just to explore because it hasn't been done before. And that's what I'm super excited about. I love that, man. And and it's, it's times when I really enjoy listening to this podcast because it, the, what you're describing in that creative process is the type of kind of what I, it's hard to explain, but when I, what I describe to my students as art is when you can connect A to Z in a way that nobody else has before. And like just kind of having those different thoughts and how you just described it as, well, I did this, but now I kind of want it to move. (laughs) So now I have to figure out a way to make the canvas move because that's more like appropriate for this other thing. And it's like a series of decisions that if you if you just, you know, as you tell the story, if you just glide past kind of this kind of artistic brilliance that's happening as you make these different choices, because the part that makes us artists is there are so many people that would have never thought of that. And yeah. you thought of it as just kind of a thing that you do. And I love that, man. That, that's, 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 I love it, man. It's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's one of the things where it's, that's why I always implore people to uh, try new things and get outside their comfort zone and just try to connect stuff because, you know, I'm always on the treadmill at the gym. So it's kind of like, okay, <laughs> you know, because I was going to try to borrow um, some some supplies from like an old, because I was looking online on Craigslist for old treadmills and uh, printers and stuff like that, just to borrow that, you know, the the engineering, I guess, know-how to sort of figure out how do I do this for a canvas. And, you know, just, just by doing that, uh, it's like connecting different ideas. And that's what you have to do as, as creatives and artists is like yeah. try to explore other parts of life and figure out how to include that into uh, the work and you know it's uh it's like how how to expand on printmaking i think you said you yeah, yeah. like how do you how do you you know still have the old techniques but also change it up to uh be different um with like the new tech that's coming out or how to be different because there's a whole new way of looking at you know, process or whatever, or inks and, you know, it's like, how, how do I just be different? Yeah. All that good stuff, man. All that yeah. good stuff. I think going back uh, this semester, man, I think I'm definitely going to, and we're going to talk about your book a little bit. I think I'm definitely going to recommend this book uh, to my students in my, in my classes. Uh, be the yeah. artist, the interactive guide to a lasting art career. Uh, I think it's a great book, man. I love the way you wrote it too. When you talk about yeah. just plain language. Like, yeah, it's a lot of like ways for me to, as a professor, yeah, I can, you know, flower it up and make it really in-depth and you know, <laughs> give assignments and ask the right essays. But like the way that you have it is much more practical. And I learned so much after school about being an artist um, because it's not so much about the technique. It's how do you live as an artist? And I think a lot of a lot of the book is about that kind of stuff, the practical advice on creating schedules, applying for residencies. Like, you know, just starting a project, you know, saying sourcing materials, all this kind of stuff. Um, Tell me a little bit about the book. Yeah, I mean, that kind of came out of the Art Tip Tuesday. Um, Basically having having all these pieces of advice and then, okay, let me figure out how to get it off 
off of um, the digital platform, put in a book, and my friend reached out to a publisher for me. And Orin, that individual, you know, set up a meeting, and the publisher liked the idea of the Art Tip Tuesdays and throwing that into like a book form and then expanding on it. And then I basically had to learn how to do the layout because I was super specific about how I wanted people to read it and absorb it because, you know, I, I don't want to write a book that I wouldn't want to pick up. So it's like I had to write something that I would want to pick up and easy to read, easy to sort of digest, but really practical, something you can um, take into your practice and utilize it that day then and there with, you know, tips and websites, links, all that good stuff. Uh, but also putting in there everything that I I would say that I learned along the way that isn't taught in school, uh, regardless of what degree that you get. It's like a lot of that stuff is like you have to live it to actually learn it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, let me figure out how to put that in a book form that's sort of relatable and, you know, easy to read that I think, you know, someone who's 18 or 35 or 50 would read it and say, you know what, let me actually apply this uh, to my life um, right now. And, you know, a lot of the stuff, you know, is, is still relevant. And since COVID, I'm like, I would love to, you know, update it because there's a lot of things that um, I, I couldn't put in there, but I'm like, this would definitely um, be helpful um, to, to an artist or creative uh, for sure, especially nowadays, post-COVID. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. one part in particular where you talk about the 12 commandments of being of, of, of the new artist, I think that applies to all artists Like when you, when you read them. Like uh, just a couple of them I'm, I'm going to say, and then you can talk a little bit about that. Uh, one is that you're 100% responsible, like for everything that you do. Um, talk about that a little bit, because I think that that to me is always the part where I had it. And I know a lot of people that I know uh, that are successful in art have that same thing. If something goes wrong, it's something that I should be doing to yeah. ensure yeah. that it goes right. It's one of those things where it's kind of like you have to hold yourself responsible even though, you know, sometimes it may not be your, your fault technically. It's like you have to hold yourself responsible. And when you do that, you start to plan better. You start to make contingency plans. You start to figure out exactly, even before taking the action, how to put yourself in the, the best position for things to go your way. Um, so when you take on that responsibility of making everything sort of uh, – almost feel responsible for you have almost control over uh it just puts it makes you feel like you're in control of more of your destiny and if it doesn't go your way you're able to figure out how to troubleshoot to make it go your way the next time because you can make excuses every day for pretty much everything so it's kind of like if i don't get into this mural festival you know, I can make an excuse about how they didn't like me or my work or whatever. But, it, you know, if you say it, I didn't get into this festival because it's somehow my fault, it's kind of like, OK, next time I'm going to make sure my resume is better. I'm going to make sure my portfolio is better. I'm going to yeah. make sure I have 
10 more murals under my belt that they really like. I'm going to actually do the research on this uh, mural festival and know exactly the type of art that they have. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to actually go down, fly down there and sort of uh, befriend and sort of connect and network with the community so that when my resume comes to them next time that they actually know me rather than, you know, not knowing me and, you know, then it's kind of, it's easier for, for me to get in next time. So, you know, just thinking of how you can sort of take on a lot of that weight allows you to feel like you're more in control and you start to take action as if you have the ability to, to change things. Then you start to figure out, you know, ways that you can actually change stuff. You know, like I said, like, you know, when I'm applying for different things, it's like I do make a concerted effort to know exactly, you know, the history of the application or the organization, the history of, you know, who got in there last time. If I'm applying for a residency, what's the best uh, route and you know all that stuff. Let me let me reach out to old people, o older or alumni individuals from previous uh, rounds of that residency and see exactly what they have to say, who I have to talk to, all that stuff. So it's it's a it's a way of like taking more responsibility uh, when it comes to your own um, journey because there's no guarantees uh, when it comes to you know getting to where you want to be in the art world or just in life in general. So it's one of those things where it's kind of like you have to sort of use that time and energy and effort uh, to make sure that you put yourself in the best position possible uh, to make things happen. Yeah. And, and to really, it hones in on to not let your career be a passive activity. Like it doesn't yeah. just happen. Like you have to go and make it happen. And if the more you feel responsible for it, the more you actually feel like there is something I can do if I just find it. Or, yeah. or put enough effort into it, like you can get the things that you want. It doesn't seem as impossible when you look at it that way. Yeah, I mean, because I, I applied for, you know, like a, the Studio Museum of Harlem residency, was, which is like one of the best ones. Yeah. And, you know, I did almost everything. But, you know, I didn't get in. But a lot of the stuff that I did try, I used on other applications and other residencies and got in. Um, but it wasn't until like, you know, actually saying me figure out, you know, how not to be sort of like this, like a pinball being bounced around without my control. Right. They, you know, utilize some strategies and actions to help me sort of, you know, navigate my own path. And, you know, just because I didn't get in there doesn't mean I didn't learn and, uh, utilize that in other places in my practice. So, uh, like I said, especially these days, it's it's a it's a lot easier uh, to sort of you know to to pass off the buck as you know they didn't like me or they uh, choose me because of some identity or community. It's like no, let me figure out a way uh, where it's kind of like I'm I'm going to get in no matter what. And when you do that, you, you start to grow and learn how to how to start navigating your your career better. And so and that goes to two more things I want to talk about on the list. And I say them together when we because I think what we're talking about is describing the exact same thing is be so good that they can't ignore you and create your own opportunities. I think those two go together in a lot of ways because you can make some incredible murals on your own outside of festivals. 
that are mm-hmm. are mind blowing, breathtaking, you know, get people attention um, just by you doing what you do and being good and not necessarily waiting to, well, I can't do something until I get into that show. Like, no, you yeah. do it now. <laughs> it gets the attention that'll lead to you to get maybe not into that show. Like you talk about studio museum, but yeah. another show, another opportunity, another thing. And, you know, all progress is progress. Yeah. I mean, getting into some of these galleries and festivals and opportunities it's like the people making those decisions usually it's like they they pick from very few people that they know people that they trust um you know they are like people whose reputation they know about so it's like they're trying to make a safe bet so that they don't get burned or they Mm -hmm. don't look back they don't get even fired so it's kind of like you you got to be so good that you know they can't ignore you like you're making waves and the waves that you're making are impactful and they're making such an impact that they have to pay attention to you so that's one of the ways of like getting a lot of these opportunities or getting that sort of that pull factor rather than pushing your work into an opportunity that's when those opportunities try to pull you in because they want they want that juice they want they want whatever you're 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 sort of dishing out because you made your own opportunities and you're so good that you know they just can't ignore you you're you're sort of the uh moving the conversation you're the thing that people are talking about so that's one of the things where it's kind of like you really have to focus on what you do and making your own opportunities and then that's where you know you become so good that you know they really can't sort of look away yeah. or they sort of um turn you down for the opportunity because even their constituents and their market and their people are like hey you need to bring this artist or hey you need to include this artist so they're asking about you and you know that's that's how you sort of get into a lot of these spaces uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, these bigger institutions and galleries and, you know, all these other things, because, you know, they're not look, it's seldom that they ever pick people that sight unseen, they don't know about that, you know, drop off a portfolio to them, or they just see randomly uh, clicking across, across Instagram or something. Usually it's like there's several different touch points where it's kind of like you get a friend talking about them. Uh, they see you online, they see you in the street, they see your work in a magazine, they see you're, you're doing this, that, and the other, and they're like, oh, this person is actually making waves, and we need to be in that, we need to be in the business of that person, too. Yeah, so, yeah. That's sort of like what, what a lot of times it comes down to. Yeah. All right. Um, I heard an artist say one time that they wanted to make the type of art where they couldn't tell the story of black art in America without them. Like yeah. that, that, that type of thing. Like you have that kind of attitude. I remember the artist. As soon as we get off the call, I remember yeah. who said it, but that, like that type of thing where uh, you just have to have the intention behind it. The intention itself will make you make, push you to make better work already. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love that stuff, man. That's, <laughs> it's great talking to you, man. So as we, as we finish it off, man, I don't want to keep you well, for so long. I, I definitely, actually, I want to bring you back if you ever get a chance to, man, because we could talk more about, kind of the blackout festival um, mural festival that you have and all the other stuff that you got going on, especially more of these art tips. Cause I think it's fascinating. But for my last question, I want to just talk about 
Um, as you do the murals and you put them up, I see you have and take pictures with some of the people that you're referencing in the imagery. Uh, just for a second, imagine what do, what do those people think when they see kind of the finished product when they do? Because uh, uh, it's a lot of normal people, right? You're not always doing celebrities and stuff like that. So like normal people, like in their everyday lives and they see themselves kind of in this kind of monumental, like big, colorful, bold, abstract kind of pattern way that you do your thing. Like, how did they feel? How did they tell you that they feel? Yeah, I mean, they they really appreciate it because it's a lot of like most of the murals I do are individuals that, you know, you probably wouldn't know of unless you're in the community um where i painted them so it's uh a lot of times it feels good just to be able to you know put them on a, a grand scale um it's a lot more intentional and thoughtful that way because it's not just a celebrity where you know the work is is sort of uh where people are first anchored on the the subject matter of that celebrity and then your work afterwards so the a lot of the people if i do that are community members like it's the work and then people want to investigate who it is afterwards and then they learn more about their community so it's a, it's a lot more thoughtful in how i want people to consume uh, those type of pieces and then the people that i paint on the murals like they get excited about just seeing themselves on a on a larger scale and you know, usually it is one of those celebrities or, you know, a supermodel or something like that. But when it's just a random individual um, that that gets that opportunity to be painted on the wall, you know, that right there is is, is huge uh, for, for them and they appreciate it. They love it a lot more. It's not just, you know, a celebrity walking by taking a picture in front of their own piece uh, when they have a thousand people painting them. It's like one person who has, you know, this one opportunity to have a wall uh, in their community of them. And they, they just appreciate it more. They love it. And just tell the story of uh, who that individual is. And, you know, hopefully it lasts for a long time and they're able to be remembered that way. And what do you think it, that gives to the community to see it, too? Uh, I'd say a lot of times it's... it's uh, it's like a storytelling component because you're learning more about who's in your community. Um, sometimes when I'm painting it and people ask who it is, they when they're walking by, you know, I let them know. It's like you see them, uh, I guess, start to wonder exactly who else is in their community, and they start to. Uh, be more explorative and asking around or they know the person and then there's a story that is sparked up about you know their interaction with this individual so i had that happen a ton of times um so the community really loves it especially because it's just not like i said it's not a celebrity that they can't uh get attached to or they can't get a hold of or they're never going to come across this people that they know that they came across that shop at the same, you know, supermarket or store uh, in their neighborhood. So a lot of times the community just really gravitates more towards uh, the artwork that's about them. Yeah. I love that, man. And then, you know, that's the type of stuff we need inside community, man. I tell a story all the time of, of growing up in the projects in Richmond, Virginia, 
and not seeing any color at all. And so then having these kind of big, bright murals, it it changes you. It changes you. If I was a little kid and I would see like somebody like presented to me in that way, like that looked like me, that was in my community, I think it would have changed a lot of stuff for how I was thinking at the time. Awesome, 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 man. Yeah. Wow, that's great stuff, man. I appreciate you, man. Tell where the people where they can get in contact with you. Uh, I guess the best way is uh, on my Instagram at Detour303 and my website, I am Detour.com. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the next upcoming thing is the Blackout Walls uh, that we're doing in September in Oakland, California. And then I'll be out in Atlanta next week doing a mural for Outer Space Project. And then hopefully something in uh, Columbus, Georgia later this year as well. Um, Those are some of the upcoming projects that I have right now. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, that's uh, some of the upcoming things. That's what's up, man. If you come to Atlanta, I definitely might come to swing through, try and holler at you right quick. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. All right. That's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Detour coming on the show. Appreciate you. Big shout out to all the guests this season. Y'all made it happen. And big shout out to the listeners. I do it for you. And I hope you loving all this inspiration. And now all my artists out there, you got a problem. You see patterns in every shadow. You see beautiful moments everywhere you go. Your fingers start itching when you see a blank piece of paper. You got to make that noise. It's the only solution. Be the artist you want to be. Make that noise. It's your boy, Jake Barber. Studio Noise Podcast. I'm going to see y'all next season. I'm out. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.